you have your Bibles, um, open them up to the book of John. Verse 15 is where we're going to be in a few minutes. We've got a little bit of, uh, little bit of work to be done before we get there. But we're starting our new series called Pre-Flight Checklist. I kind of told you about this a couple weeks ago. And I said that um, I've been having some conversations with some friends, people within the church. As a matter of fact, I had eight hours of interview for this series. Eight hours. What a benefit. I mean, what a benefit just for uh, anyone who's maybe not married or maybe thinking about getting married. Maybe some of you are married and don't want to be. This will be good for you too. You know, that kind of thing. No matter how you come into this place, this could be very beneficial for you of just gleaning from all of the, the experience that these couples kind of bring into the equation. As a matter of fact, the information that's going to be put together for the next six weeks of this series is 200 years of marital experience. 200 years. And prior to this, I thought, you know what? Marla and I have been married. It'll be 20 years, amazingly, 20 years this year, which is amazing. And you should clap, not for me, but for her, because that means a lot. And uh, so 20 years. And, you know, it, there was a part of my life where I thought, you know what, 20 years, and that's, that's really cool. And, man, I can't wait till I get to the 20-year mark until I talk to these, the three couples that I talked to and I spent these eight hours with, all total. Um, and, and they're in, like, 60-some years of marriage, 50-some years of marriage. The other one's 50-some years of marriage. And I'm thinking, I'm a kid. I haven't learned anything. So the information that, that I am... Very happy to share with you is something, let me tell you, it, I received it first. So I've been already blessed by it, and I know that you will be as well. But you know, one of the things that, that I've kind of found with our culture is we've, we've changed the word love. We've kind of mixed the word love up, and we use it in weird ways. And it goes like this. We use the word love like I love chicken wings, Right? Have you ever, anyone ever said that? I love chicken, who loves chicken wings? Put them up, loud and proud, yeah. I love chicken wings. We say, you know what, I love chicken wings. And then some of you say, you know what, I just, I just loved that trip that we took to the beach all those years ago. Ladies, anybody trips to the beach? Yes. You know, you're like, I just love that trip to the beach. And we just use the word love. And you're like, you know what, I, I love this. I love this band. But yet in five years, you're not going to love the band anymore. You're going to love another band. And it's just all these things. I love these jeans, you know. We just like love jeans. And then, and then we would say things like, I love pizza rolls. Not out of a microwave, okay, because then it just gets gross. It's like molten goo, you know. But it's like in the oven and like pizza rolls. Anyone like pizza rolls out of the oven? It's amazing. It's incredibly good for you too, I'm told. It keeps you well preserved. It really does. Like pizza rolls. And then I would turn around and say, you know what, I love pizza rolls. And then I would, I would snuggle up next to Marlon and say, I love you too, honey. What? I, lo- I love you like pizza rolls? I mean, isn't that weird? And that's the, that's the type of thing that we do. So we're kind of kicking off, off this series. And I just want to just lay a clear platform as to what love is. That's what we're going to do today. And we're going to talk about love and the way that how Jesus talks about love. And I think it's going to be different than what we're used to. The, kind of the approach coming into this whole series, of which I'm, I'm way underdressed. Um, we have Henry and uh, Henrietta. Um, they're going to make wonderful kids, headless kids. But uh, it's uh, coming into this, into this series, 
one of the things that I, I thought that would be profitable for you is I'll kind of take a story back from my uh, years of aviation. I spent about 10 years in aviation. And one of the things that what pilots would do prior to flying, if you're in the type of airplane where there's pilot, co-pilot, is they literally, each one will have a checklist in their hand, and they'll call out things on the checklist, and then the person on the other side of the cockpit will go in and check all of the things on that side of the cockpit. Are you tracking with that so far? And then after they would go down this side of the checklist, then just say that the co-pilot would go through and he would call out these certain commands and then the pilot would look over and he would make sure everything on his side of the cockpit was good. And that way they would cross-check each other to know exactly what condition the aircraft was in. I think it's profitable for for you and I, when you're, when you're getting into a marriage, you're thinking about marriage, maybe you're in marriage, maybe you're in a, in a rough time in your marriage, for you to sit back and maybe do a little cross-check of each other and say, you know what, not that you just look over the other person's shoulder to make sure they're doing everything that you think they should do or that they would do the same to you, but just to say, you know what, I want to make sure that the marriage, not just our love, but our marriage is is headed in the right direction. You know, because the, a phrase that we used a lot in aviation, you know, pretty much we can get any plane to take off. It's the landing that's the real issue, isn't it? I'm like, gravity's going to win one way or the other. You just want to kind of work with gravity on the way down. Because if you take off and you don't know what you're doing and you haven't planned right and you don't have fuel, you're going to land, but it's going to be a smoking hole, okay? It's not going to land on all three wheels and it's going to be bad and it's going to end up bad. The same thing as far as marriage is concerned. You want to start the best way possible so you don't end up one day wondering what in the world happened. I think Jesus can teach us some things about that. You know, culture has already kind of changed us and really kind of morphed us into thinking different things about about the idea of love, though. And specifically, I would say songs. Some of the songs that we grew up with, maybe you grew up with this song, a song by Tina Turner. It's a song that says, what's love got to do with it? Anyone heard of that song? If you have it on your iPad or iPod or whatever, you should probably be embarrassed. 80s are over, well over, okay? It had its time and it's gone. But one of the lyrics in that song, it says, what's love got to do with it? Finish this for me. What's love but a second hand? Wow, you do have it on your iPod. You are not telling the truth. What's love but a secondhand emotion? And in some ways, even from my upbringing, I was kind of convinced that love is an emotion. That love's an emotion. Maybe you were too. That love's an emotion. But then, in modern, the modern music scene, it's kind of teaching us something else about, about love and what I, the idea of love. And it's kind of teaching us that love's disposable. And that if I don't get out of it, like, if, if I don't get enough out of it, I just discard it. Like, it's disposable. Like those latex gloves, you just take off and you just throw away and be like, you know what, that's fine, I'll just go get another pair. There's 50 in the box. I'm good to do this 25 times. And yet, there's certain things that we listen to that have changed us. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. I don't need a show of hands about this. There's a, a, a very modern artist um, by the name of Rihanna. She sings a song called Drunk on Love. I'm sure that you can just imagine this is a, a great song. This is what modern culture is kind of putting out um, about love. And she sings a song like this. Um, 
I feel like I'm a hopeless romantic. I can't help falling in love. I fiend for love. I want it. I crave it. I just can't get enough. Take me away. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Always let love take the lead. That can be scary. I may be a little naive. Yeah, you know I'm drunk on love. I'm drunk on love. Nothing can sober me up because I'm drunk on love. And yet that's kind of what modern culture is telling us about love. Like it's, okay, yeah, I crave it. I want it. I've got to have it. It's just, it's here and now. And what can I get right now? And it's about me. And I, I, I fiend for it. And I long for it. And you know what? The reality is we do need love. But yet, we have to be careful how we define love. Let's look at the way Jesus defines love. And I think it's going to radically shape us. And it's certainly going to change the trajectory of Many of you, if you're not married, you're, you're dating, you're you know, pre-married, you're thinking about marriage. There's going to be some very, very interesting things. I want you to go down the checklist week by week for these six weeks and just kind of ask yourself the question, do a little cross-check and say, okay, is this person the one? Is that person the one? Are we going in the right direction? We don't want to end up you know, in a smoking hole in the ground. We want, to, we want to get to our destination. And we want to plan and dream together. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 15. We're going to kind of skip around a little bit, just to give you a heads up. We're going to read verse 15, verse 21, then verse 23 and 24. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. See, that, that already doesn't sit real well, does it? It's like, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. You see, we've been trained that love is an emotion and that love it is an emotion that, that I can get out of it. That it's about me. That it's about my needs and my longings and my desires. And this is, the, you know, I bring things into the equation here and these are things that I want. And Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, he says, you will obey what I command. Hmm. Let's press on a little bit. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, there's that word again, and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Hmm. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So Jesus says that there's a, a connection with love and obedience, and yet that's unsettling for us because we think love is about us. It's an emotion. It's about how I feel right now. What can I get out of this relationship? Not necessarily what I want to put into it. I mean, you know, we're kind of trained that I'm only going to put into it what I'm getting out of it. At least that's kind of the way I was brought up. I don't know about the same for you. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. The interesting thing about this word love, we've, maybe if you've been around uh, church circles, Christian circles, that kind of thing, you've heard this word agape, which is it's a noun, and it's Christian love. It's, it's talking about being unselfish, being sacrificial, and it's unconditional love. It's a Christian to Christian love set forth by the Father. That's what the text says. Through Jesus, Jesus conveys the message to his disciples and to all of us. And this absolutely pertains to folks who are looking to get married and, and walk down the aisle. This pertains to them. 
And he says, if you love me, you will obey me. And if you love me, that's, that's not necessarily the word agape, which is a noun. This is agapeo, which is actually a verb. Hmm. See, we, we think of things a little bit different. And Jesus says, love is a verb. Love is, is you doing something, not just you getting something. It's not some abstract idea of Christian love, agape, oh, that's unselfish, that's all these things. He says, no, you have to understand that this is, love is a verb. This is something that you do. This is something that you have to do. And it's love that's built on a relationship. You see, a non-Christian, you, you, you may have some of this, and this series would definitely be profitable for you, especially when we get into the next text. There's going to be something that's going to sound very familiar. But... What Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about people who, who are followers of him, who have committed their life to him. And he says, you know what? If, you, if you'll follow my teachings, life will go better. Your marriage will go better. Things will go better. And maybe you'll be able to reach that destination, that milestone, that 50, 60, 70 years of marriage, and everything will be intact. Not saying there's not going to be some turbulence along the way. But he says, if you obey my teaching, there's enough here that's going to get you there. And he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. But love is a verb. Love is a verb. And he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Now, I want to tell you some things about agape love. These will be on the screen. You may want to write these down. You may not want to write these down. Uh, I don't know how that really fits um, into things that you like to do. But the first one about agape love, this unselfish, unconditional this, this giving, this, it's, it's a type of love that says, it's not about me, it's about you, and it's, it's not about me, and it's about you. And then, and then the other person says, well, it's not about me, it's about you. And this, just, this, this will make more sense in a couple weeks when we get into our Ephesians text and we kind of see how this, this really works in roles within a relationship. But agape love, as it says on the screen, is God's foundation for marriage. This is the very bedrock of, of a marriage relationship. This is just kind of setting the bedrock. This is where it all starts. This is the foundation. It has to start here. If it starts in, in the basis of your emotions, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. And he says, this has to be the baseline. This is a matter of being unselfish and this unconditional love. Like I'm, I'm coming into this marriage and I'm saying, you know what? I'm not, I'm not just going to, to love you when I want to love you. I'm going to love you all the time. It's unconditional. That means that there's nothing they can do to break themselves out of this marriage relationship. That's the type of love that Jesus talks about. This is the agape love. And this is, he's talking about making love a verb, agapeo. He says... Here's some things you need to know about that. It's the foundation for marriage. It's built on on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Through His teachings, His Word, Old and New Testament. And He says, this. not, not only is it just the foundation for marriage, He says, this is something that can be built upon. The rock of Jesus. He says, just as Jesus says in, in John 14, 15, He says, if you, if you love Me, you'll obey Me. Because he's the rock. He's the calm in the storm. When life and turbulence and all these things happen in your life, stay firm to Jesus and his teachings, and it will get you through. Next thing I've already alluded to, it's unconditional. That means you, if you go into a marriage and say, you know what? 
Baby, there's nothing you can do that's going to make me stop choosing you. That's unconditional. Saying, you know what? We're going to fail. We're going to mess up. I'm going to say things that I shouldn't have said. And you will probably do the same thing. I'm going to do things that I probably shouldn't have done. And yet, the love, the agape love is unconditional. He's saying, you know what? It's not just about me. It's not about my likes and my emotions. It's about making love a verb in choosing. Choosing that it's going to be unconditional. Agape love is the relational glue that will hold your marriage together. Not your sexual appetites. Not your sexual appetites. The relational glue, that will, it, will make, it will make your love life better. It will make your, your communication better. It will make parenting better. It will make your decision making better. It's this idea of just allowing agape love. The, the I trust you. It's unconditional. I know we're going to fail each other. But it's unconditional. It's built on Christ. It's the found, God's foundation for marriage. And that's the relational glue that's going to hold us together. That's going to be the thing that when you fail each other, that you can sit back and say, you know what? I forgive you. Because when I signed, when I signed into this, I signed into an unconditional agape love. And I'm going to agape you, or agapeo you. I'm going to make love a verb and choose to love you, even when you do things wrong. And this agape love is, is basically just choosing the best for each other. That's not just looking in the mirror at yourself and say, well, how can you serve yourself today? You know? Well, I think I'm going to go have some fun today. I've worked hard. It's, it's looking at your spouse or your future spouse and saying, you know what? How can I, how can I make that person better? How can, I, how can I look after their needs more than just my own? Because we automatically look after our own, don't we? We're, we're good at that. And yet we have to have a training of our mind to look after our spouse or our future spouse. It's, it's choosing the best for each other, not just ourselves. It's choosing. It's making love a verb. That's what it is. It's a matter of, of making that unconditional love work in the home. And it's difficult at times. And life happens. Now, I've pushed back from this a little bit. And the whole, you know, Tina helped me a little bit. Um, and many of you sang out. It was amazing. We recorded it. I'll, I'll let you hear that later. But you said that love is, a, as she said, a secondhand, finish it, emotion. And that is, that's kind of how we lived our life. That love's an emotion. It's here and it's, it's not there. And, you know... Like, oh, I feel like I'm in love right now. And many of us have probably even been told that, that you can fall in love and that you can fall out of love. Has anyone ever fallen into a hole? Just anyone? Did you fall out of it? No, I'm not trying to say marriage is a hole, okay? I'm, but, I don't know. I haven't been looking in your windows, all right? I haven't been the stethoscope on your door listening to your conversations. But, but it's like, that doesn't even make sense. And yet... In movies, in, in music, our culture, the things that we're exposed to, we've come to believe that love is just a, a secondhand emotion. It's like what I can get out of it. And if it's emotionally pleasing, I'm all in. But if it's, as soon as it becomes not pleasing, I'm taking steps 
back. But Jesus said, love is a verb. It's not just something that you, that you receive. It's something that you give. He changes everything. And he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. John 14, 15. And then he echoed the same thing in John 14, 21. And the same thing in verses 23 and 24. We know that, at least I certainly do, I can't speak for you, but emotions change, don't they? Do your emotions change? Have you ever woke up in the morning in a bad mood and no one has actually said anything to you, right? And you just woke up in a bad mood. You're just like, you're sitting there and you're just like angry. And yet, you're like having conversations within yourself and you just feel embittered and you're just sitting there and you're just like, oh, you haven't even gotten out of bed yet, haven't even had a conversation yet. You didn't even walk into the refrigerator and find out that you're out of coffee. Like you have no reason to be angry. Yet your emotions, they become like roller coasters, don't they? Let me, I mean, I'll ask you a serious question. Can you predict how your emotions are going to be tomorrow at 3 o'clock? I bet I can help predict how your emotions are going to be at 3 o'clock. Give me a cell phone. I bet I, can, I bet I can kind of jab you a little bit and kind of make you emotionally charged one way or the other. And yet we can't predict our emotions, can we? Our emotions, they don't last. They, they're up one time and they're down the other and I love you and oh, I don't even like you anymore and I can't believe you said that. Oh honey, you're amazing. I mean, you're all over the place. We can't control our emotions and I believe the reason why Jesus talks about making love a verb in this sense, he's saying if you want to do that, you can control love the way Jesus talks about but yet in our culture we've kind of been taught a twisted truth that love is an emotion. But what if, what if love is not the emotion? What if it's just like? What if it's just like? Instead of, you know what? There are times, like in my life, there are times where I like things. There was, there was early in my life, I didn't like Spicy food. I like I couldn't even handle it. I was a pansy. I mean anything with cayenne pepper I would like have to wash it down with a quart of milk. You know, I mean it's just ridiculous And now i'm like I can't get enough spicy food. My likes have changed over the years yours probably have too our likes change but yet And even i'll even get a little bit personal even in my own life There are times where I, I bet if, if I were to bring marla up here um, I haven't prepped this, so I have some sort of wisdom in my marriage, but I, I bet if we were to be honest, there's times that we just like don't like each other. That's not scary. Don't look at me like, all right, she still loves me, trust me. But there are times where you just like, you know what, I don't understand you, and yet we don't like the things that maybe each other have done or said, but we never stop loving each other. Maybe like is the emotion. There's actually been a... A, uh, a bit of research to kind of help in this regard. This is not a... Uh, the person who did the research, her name is Dr. Hel- Dr. Helen Fisher. She is a um, very sophisticated biological anthropologist. So in other words, she's always the smartest person in the room. That's basically what she is, um, no matter who she's with. And she, uh, she's kind of put together this idea of the four stages of what she calls love. This is, a non, uh, this is non-Christian research. She's not a follower of Christ. As a matter of fact, she's the other way. But what's really interesting is her findings are the same thing that will kind of coincide with what Jesus taught. Here are the four stages. 
some complicated stuff. I've got to have a little cheat sheet. The first stage, she says, is lust. Probably didn't have to tell any guy in here that one. It is. Lust. He says in the first stage, it, this, the, the lust stage of, is what she calls, there's this rise of testosterone that happens in guys. And in ladies, it's the estrogen that kind of revs up in both of them. And it's just like, you know, you know it's like the how you doing kind of stage, you know. And you look at each other and it's like, wow, you're hot. You know, hey, you're hot too, whatever, you know. And you kind of go back and forth. It's like that's the first stage. And she said it's all these stages are... It's amazing. She said, you can go from one to four in like no time at all in these stages of love. So it goes from lust where there's the testosterone and estrogen and, and that kind of carries into the second phase and this is the attraction, the love struck phase where you just kind of sit and look into each other's eyes and say dumb things, you know, like looking at each other and be like, honey, you have the best unibrow I've ever seen in my life. That's really incredible. Do you groom it straight across or does it grow naturally? I mean, what do you do with that? You know, you just, you're love struck, you say things and you say dumb things and they look at you just like, you know, like you're the best thing on earth and it's the love struck stage and part of this stage, it, she says, there, there are studies are proving that people can't sleep. It's like, have you ever been there? I've been there where you just like, you can't sleep and you're thinking about, I remember dating Marla and and boot camp and kind of coming into into our marriage time and just not being able to sleep and just kind of anticipation of what maybe you're going to do the next day or where you're going to go or, you know, you finally get to talk to her and you talk to her on the phone late at night or talk to him late at night and then and then you hang up the phone and you can't wait until the morning to talk again. Anyone else been there? I remember it well. Yet in this this time, there are some, some chemical reactions that happen and she says that dopamine, and I don't even know what dopamine is, but she's smart and I'm not, so I'm just going to share it with you. Dopamine, she said it's almost like the, the addiction that people have to chocolate. It's like it gives you that, that little superficial high. It just like comes in, you know, you eat chocolate, and many of you eat way too much chocolate, but you like chocolate and you eat it and you think, oh, it just makes you feel good, doesn't it? Makes you feel good. And he said this is, this is the dopamine. This is what happens in the love struck kind of attraction stage. And, and there's serotonin. This is the where there's obsessive thoughts where you just can't stop thinking about them. You can't function. You go to work and you're thinking about Dreamboat, you know, and you're just like, oh, and you're looking at his picture and you have all kinds of obsessive thoughts. And she said that, that all of these stages kind of go in line with one another. And then the next one is the attachment stage. And she said this stage is very... She said it, it's built upon the first two, but this is the stage that, that basically that creates the sexual desire. And she said you have to kind of be, well, I would say you have to be careful. She wouldn't, a different perspective, but you have to be careful going from one and two to three and four because she said you can go from one to four, literally, statistics have proven it, that you can go from one to four in 30 minutes. 30 minutes. I mean, it's really incredible. And research, how they would do that research, not willing to share. But research have proven that that are the types of things that happen. And they have, they have done this. This is an exhaustive thing. She's basically spent, she's written many, many books on this. And I think it's so interesting how culture defines love, quote, unquote. Of saying that you can just have, you can fall in love in 30 minutes and you can fall away from love 
in 30 minutes, treating it like it's just disposable, like it's a, a latex glove. And yet, the fourth stage or phase of love, as Helen Fisher defined it, is the limbic resonance. That just sounds complicated. And this is all in your mind. And she said, these, these are the types of things, and it's, this is the chemical and neurological effects of love. All of these are. And, and kind of the, the, the chemicals and as it works within your body. She said, in the limbic resonance stage, and, and they've done MRIs to test this, and I've actually researched it online, and you can actually see what's happening in the brain during this phase. She said, when all of these things are clicking, you can kind of see it in that phase of the brain, and MRA shows it. It's amazing. But she said, the problem is, they all stop firing. They stop firing. She said, you can fall in love, as she defined love, not as Jesus defines love, and you can fall out of love. She said it, in no time at all. Because all of the, the, the oxytocin and the dopamine and all these different things, they have all different levels. You can feel like, oh, just so attached and so attached. But yet, as they stop firing, and maybe when difficult things happen in a marriage, and then you stop feeling all of those, those chemical and neurological effects, now all of a sudden, you don't feel like you're in love anymore. That's a complete contrast as to what Jesus is defining about love, isn't it? Because he says, the love has nothing to do with chemicals in your body. It's a matter of making love a verb in your home and choosing love. It's unconditional. It needs to be selfless. It needs to be sacrificial. So what if love is not an emotion. What if like is an emotion? If you would, you can flip over to 1 Corinthians 13. This may be a little bit confusing to you, and I'll be honest with you, it was for me. But some things started to make sense when I got to this text. Because this text, and this what Jesus is teaching may seem absolutely foreign to you, and I get that, but this text sounds a lot like more what culture, how they define what love is. And it's the same word. It's agape. It's the same word. So when Jesus used in that Greek word of agapeo, the, basically the same word, but in the, the verb tense, this is the noun tense. But I want you to look at the actions that will help us to understand and to live out this Love being a verb. Verse 4. First. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And this is going to sound very emotionally satisfying. Verse 7. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. See, now that's, that's the type of 
things that we would expect out from our culture as to what love is. You say, you know what? That makes sense to me. But it's the same word. It's the same word base that Jesus used. So for us, we, we sit back in culture and say, you know what? And we would, we would love this. And if you've just, like I said, if you're not a Christian and you look at, at verse 4 through 7 and you're like, that makes sense. Well, it's because the basis of all love relationships is sent forth by God. Of course it makes sense. But it says love is patient. So what does that look like? If you're, if you're married, you're going to be married, thinking about being married, maybe you're at a rough patch in your marriage, and you say, you know what, love is patient. That means I may have to wait because it's an unconditional love. I may have to wait a little bit longer than what I want to to have this done or to have those words said, but it's patient. It's patient because it's sacrificial and it's not selfish and it's unconditional. And I'm saying, you know what? I may not get everything out of this that I think that I need, but I'm still in it. I still choose to love. And this love is patient. This love is kind. And we want this in our home, don't we? And it says it does not envy. That's what we want. And it, it's not a matter of envying each other. I see this in counseling all the time, where couples, they, they even... They envy each other and they envy the freedom that one person has or they envy the, the, the freedom that the other person has and they start to become enemies of themselves and, and they view themselves and they've allowed envy to come in even to the, the sacredness and the closeness of their relationship and they start to envy each other. You get to do all these things and you get to do all these things and the reality is we need to be cross-checking each other, right? To say, you know what? I'm not just looking out for my best interest. I'm also looking out for your best interest. So if that means, honey, if you need a break, I'm going to give you a break. If you, need, if you need a day or a night to go just kind of get away and go do your own thing, I'm going to do that. Sure, I would like a break too, but love does not envy. I'm going to just sit back and, and love is kind and love is patient. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm just going to let you take that time and I'm going to take the brunt of all of the kids or whatever it takes at home. Isn't that what you want in your home? I think it is. It says, it is not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, which means that type of of unconditional, sacrificial, unselfish love, it's not going to be rude. You're not going to say rude remarks to your spouse, to your boyfriend, girlfriend. You're not going to demean them publicly or privately. You're going to build them up and not push them down. That's what this is talking about. This is how you build the, the, the strongest foundation for marriage, just kind of bring these things in. And as a matter of fact... If there were anything that I would want you to like spend weeks and weeks and years and years and months and months going through, if you're newly married, going to be married, or, or even in a rough patch, go through this text again and just kind of challenge yourself and, and just say, you know what? Look into your own, your own self and say, am I, am I doing what the Word of God says that I'm supposed to do? Or am I just doing what I want to do? And it says, it's not easily angered and it keeps... No record of wrongs. He keeps no record of wrongs. Now, not easily angered. This is a difficult thing. And in counseling, this is, this is one of the things that, that 
uh, I have to kind of be sensitive to, whether it's premarital counseling or marital counseling, I have to be sensitive to because so many times people bring the anger of their, their mom or dad into their, their relationship, whether it's marriage, premarriage, or whatever that is. And if they grew up in a home where there was this angry person, more often than not there are triggers. And those triggers will be brought right into that home. And what's talked about here, making love a verb, and not just a noun, not just an idea, but making it a reality for your home and mine, it's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. That means that forgiveness, we talked about this, didn't we? We spent three weeks talking about this, just having forgiveness in the home, keeps no record of wrongs, saying, you know what, you failed me yesterday, but that was yesterday. I'm going to love you today. I'm going to love you, I'm going to choose to love you today. Because love is more of a decision than it ever has been of an emotion. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Based off the Word of God. It doesn't rejoice in evil. There's going to be things, there, there are going to be... There's, Satan is, is the enemy of marriage and relationships. He has been since Genesis 3. Look it up and read it. That's the very thing that was, that was impacted. It's not them as individuals. It was the sanctity of marriage of which that Satan, when he basically got right in the middle of that marriage relationship with Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. And it says that we, if you're a Christian this morning, we need to rejoice in the truth and not delight in evil. We need to guard our home. We need to guard our relationship. We need to guard our hearts. We need to guard who we share our feelings with. It's important. We need to guard who we share all those feelings with. In verse 7, makes a lot of sense to me, probably you. Verse 7, it says that this, this type of love, this agape love, this unselfish, unconditional, this it's not about me love, it's about you love. It says it always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always, always, always perseveres. Isn't that what we want? See, we have to transition, and we have to take some things that have happened from our life and cultural pressures that, that we have been subjected to, and we need to bring those and filter those through the Word of God. We need to filter them through the Word of God to make sure that we're not just, to, rather, to make sure we are rejoicing in the truth. And then we're not basking in evil. That's what we need to do. Because we want the love that always protects, that always trusts, that always hopes, and always perseveres. That's what we all want. As a matter of fact, if you continue in this, 1 Corinthians 13, if you have your Bibles open there, you can read it. If not, I'm just going to hit it real quick. It says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You see, I can have faith where it's just between me and God. I can have hope that's just between me and God. But I can't just have a love between me and God because He commands me. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And if you obey His Word, that means I'm going to love other people too. See, the, the reason why this is the greatest is because this impacts the rest of the world. This makes your faith real. This makes the hope that we have in Jesus real. 
by sharing with other people and by loving, by loving unconditionally. It's the same word, agape, love. That's what Jesus wants us to do. What if Jesus was just talking about a choice or a decision? What if, he, what if Jesus was talking about a choice or a decision that was built off of a relationship? Because I think he was. He was saying, if you love me, Christians, Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey me. He says, I am the author and creator of love. Outside of Jesus, there is no love. First John says that. God is love. Outside of that, we, we have no basis for love. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey me. And I've just given you some very practical ways to do that in 1 Corinthians 13. You can bring that into your relationship. If you're considering marriage, if you're in marriage, if you're at a rough spot in your marriage, it's not too late. Use these principles. They endure. For us, and you're going to see this again next week, as we talk about the, the basis of, of a love relationship, you may have, this may have been incredibly helpful for you, you may be a little bit confused and saying, okay, I feel like I got part A, but what's the rest? Well, the rest is coming in the weeks to come. It'll all make sense, and it'll all be brought together. But for us, this morning, and I was very, I was very pleased to be able to sit down with those folks for those eight hours. It was great. Actually, just flew by. And to think how profitable it would be to kind of put into your mind and your heart 200 years of marital experience. That's a long time. And all of the things that they have gained. And So what, I, what I'm doing is I've kind of taken things that they've said and I've compiled it into these messages and there's going to be so much more material. I'll probably be using it for the next marriage series, maybe later in the year or next year. But I know without a doubt if we lean into Jesus' understanding of what love is, life will be better. Your relationships will make sense. And the thing that was common, actually two things that were common with all those couples. The very first question that I ask him, I ask all three of them this, and I got the exact same response. I said, did you have anyone give you quality premarital Advice. They all said no. There, there was a little advice, but it wasn't necessarily quality. It was, I think, two of the couples, they, they had people in their family saying, you're too young, it'll never last. But I don't consider that quality, because it did last. And yet, there, there was that response, but then also another, another thing that was a common thread through them is the idea of People don't understand what love is. They don't understand that the longevity of love. That the love that's, that's not just about them personally. And they all talked about how we all bring things into a marriage. And many times we need to put those aside for the betterment of our spouse, our girlfriend. And when we do that, life goes better. 